0: book three chapter six part one of on the education of an orator by quintilian translated by h e butler this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter six since every cause then has a certain essential basis on which it rests before i proceed to set forth how each kind of cause should be handled i think i should first examine a question that is common to all of them namely what is meant by basis whence it is derived and how many and of what nature such bases may be some it is true have thought that they were peculiar merely to forensic themes but their ignorance will stand revealed when i have treated of all three kinds of oratory that which i call the basis some style the constitution others the question and others again that which may be inferred from the question while theodorus calls it the most general head to which everything must be referred these different names however all mean the same thing nor is it of the least importance to students by what special name things are called, as long as the thing itself is perfectly clear. The Greeks call this essential basis Stasis, a name which they hold was not invented by Hermagoras, but, according to some, was introduced by Nocrates, the pupil of Isocrates, according to others, by Topyrus of Clatomene, Although Ascanes, in his speech against Tessiphon, seems to employ the word when he asks the jury not to allow Demosthenes to be irrelevant, but to keep him to the stasis or basis or case. The term seems to be derived from the fact that it is on it that the first collision between the parties to the dispute takes place. Or that it forms the basis or standing of the whole case. So much for the origin of the name, now for its nature. Some have defined the basis as being the first conflict of the causes. The idea is correct, but the expression is faulty, for the essential basis is not the first conflict which we may represent by the clauses You did such and such a thing, and I did not do it. It is, rather, the kind of question which arises from the first conflict, which we may represent as follows. You did it. I did not. Did he do it? Or, you did this. I did not do this. What did he do? It is clear from these examples that the first sort of question depends on conjecture, The second on definition, and that the contending parties rest their respective cases on these points. The basis of these questions will therefore be of a conjectural or definitive character, respectively. Suppose it should be asserted that sound is the conflict between two bodies. The statement would, in my opinion, be erroneous. For sound is not the actual conflict, but a result of the conflict. The error is, however, of small importance, for the sense is clear, whatever the expression. But this trivial mistake has given rise to a very serious error in the minds of those who have not understood what was meant. For, on reading that the essential basis was the first conflict, They immediately concluded that the basis was always to be taken from the first question, which is a grave mistake. For every question has its basis, since every question is based on assertion by one party and denial by another. But there are some questions which form an essential part of causes, and it is on these that we have to express an opinion, while others are introduced from without, and are, strictly speaking, irrelevant, although they may contribute something of a subsidiary nature to the general contention. It is for this reason that there are said to be several questions in one matter of dispute. Of these questions, it is often the most trivial which occupies the first place. For it is a frequent artifice to drop those points in which we place least confidence as soon as we have dealt with them. Sometimes we make a free gift of them to our opponents, while sometimes we are content to use them as a step to arguments which are of greater importance. A simple cause, however, although it may be defended in various ways, cannot have more than one point on which a decision has to be given and consequently the basis of the cause will be that point which the orator sees to be the most important for him to make and on which the judge sees that he must fix all his attention for it is on this that the cause will stand or fall on the other hand questions may have more basis than one a brief example will show what i mean when the accused says admitting that i did it i was right to do it he makes the basis one of quality but when he adds but i did not do it he introduces an element of conjecture but denial of the facts is always the stronger line of defense and therefore i conceive the basis to resign in that which i should say if i were confined to one single line of argument we are right therefore in speaking of the first conflict of causes in contradiction to the conflict of questions. For instance, in the first portion of his speech on behalf of Rabirius' Postumus, Cicero contends that the action cannot lie against a Roman knight, while in the second he asserts that no money ever came into his client's hands. Still, I should say that the basis was to be found in the latter as being the stronger of the two. Again, in the case of Milo, I do not consider that the conflict is raised by the opening questions, but only when the orator devotes all his powers to prove that Claudius lay in wait for Milo, and was therefore rightly killed. The point on which, above all, the orator must make up his mind even although he may be going to take up various lines of argument in support of his case is this what is it that he wishes most to impress upon the mind of the judge but although this should be the first point for his consideration it does not follow that it should be the first that he will make in his actual speech others have thought that the basis lay in the first point raised by the other side in its defense. Cicero expresses this view in the following words: the argument on which the defense first takes its stand with a view to rebutting the charge. This involves a further question as to whether the basis can only be determined by the defense. Cornelius Celsus is strongly against this view and asserts that the basis is derived not from the denial of the charge, but from him who affirms his proposition. Thus, if the accused denies that anyone has been killed, the basis will originate with the accuser, because it is the latter who desires to prove. If, on the other hand, the accused asserts that the homicide was justifiable, the burden of proof has been transferred, and the basis will proceed from the accused and be affirmed by him. I do not however agree, for the contrary is nearer to the truth, that there is no point of dispute if the defendant makes no reply, and that consequently the basis originates with the defendant. But in my opinion, The origin of the basis varies and depends on the circumstances of the individual case. For instance, in conjectural causes, the affirmation may be regarded as determining the basis, since conjecture is employed by the plaintiff rather than the defendant, and consequently, some have styled the basis originated by the latter negative. Again, in any syllogism, the whole of the reasoning proceeds from him who affirms. But on the other hand, he, who in such cases, denies, appears to impose the burden of dealing with such bases upon his opponent. For if he says, I did not do it, he will force his opponent to make use of conjecture, and again, if he says, the law is against you, he will force him to employ the syllogism. Therefore, we must admit that a basis can originate in denial. All the same, we are left with our previous conclusion that the basis is determined in some cases by the plaintiff, in some by the defendant. Suppose the accuser to affirm that the accused is guilty of homicide. If the accused denies the charge, it is he who will determine the basis. Or again, if he admits that he has killed a man, but states that the victim was an adulterer and justifiably killed, and we know that the law permits homicide under these circumstances, there is no matter in this dispute, unless the accuser has some answer to make. Suppose the accuser does answer, however, and deny that the victim was guilty of adultery. It will be the accuser that denies and it is by him that the basis is determined. The basis, then, will originate in the first denial of facts, but that denial is made by the accuser and not the accused. Again, the same question may make the same person either accuser or accused. He who has exercised the profession of actor is under no circumstances to be allowed a seat in the first fourteen rows of the theatre. An individual who had performed before the praetor in his private gardens, but had never been presented on the public stage, has taken his seat in one of the fourteen rows. The accuser, of course, affirms that he has exercised the profession of an actor. The accused denies that he has exercised the profession. The question then arises as to the meaning of the exercise of the profession of actor. If he is accused under the law regarding the seats in the theatre, the denial will proceed from the accused. If, on the other hand, he is turned out of the theatre and demands compensation for assault, the denial will be made by the accuser. The view of the majority of the writers on this subject will, however, hold good in most cases. Some have evaded these problems, by saying that a basis is that which emerges from affirmations and denials, such as, you did it, I did not do it, or I was justified in doing it. But let us see whether this is the basis itself, or rather that in which the basis is to be found. Hermagoras calls a basis that which enables the matter in question to be understood and to which the proofs of the parties concerned will also be directed. My own opinion has always been that, whereas there are frequently different bases of questions in connection with a cause, the basis of the cause itself is its most important point on which the whole matter turns. If anyone prefers to call the general question or general head of the cause, I shall not quarrel with him, any more than i have done hitherto if he produced a different technical term to express the same thing although i know that whole volumes have been written on such disputes i prefer however to call it the basis there is the greatest possible disagreement among writers about this as about everything else but in this case as elsewhere they seem to me to have been misled by a passion for saying something different from their fellow-teachers. As a result, there is still no agreement as to the number and names of bases, nor as to which are general and which special. To begin with, Aristotle lays down that there are ten categories on which every question seems to turn. First there is ousia, which Plotus calls essence, the only available translation. Under this category we inquire whether a thing is. Secondly, there is quality, the meaning of which is self-evident. Third comes quantity, which was subdivided by later philosophers, as dealing with two questions, as to magnitude and number. Next, relation, involving questions of competence and comparison. This is followed by when and where. Then come doing, suffering, and possessing, which, for example, are concerned with a person's being armed or clothed. Lastly, comes case-tie, or position, which means to be in a certain position, such, for instance, as being warm, standing, or angry. Of these categories, the first four concern basis, the remainder concern only certain topics for argument. Others make the number of categories to be nine. Person involving questions concerning the mind, body or external circumstances, which clearly has reference to the means by which we establish conjecture or quality. Time or chronos, from which we get questions such as whether a child is born a slave if his mother delivered of him while assigned to her creditors. Place, from which we get such disputes as to whether it is permissible to kill a tyrant in a temple, or whether one who has hidden himself at home can be regarded as an exile. Then comes time, in another sense, called kairos by the Greeks, by which they refer to a period of time, such as summer or winter. Under this heading come problems such as that about the man who held high revel in a time of pestilence. Action, or praxis, to which they refer questions as to whether an act was committed wittingly or unwittingly, by accident or under compulsion, and the like. Number, which falls under the category of quantity, under which come questions such as whether the state owes Thrasybulus thirty talents for ridding it of the same number of tyrants cause under which had come a large number of disputes whenever effect is not denied but the defense pleads that the act was just and reasonable tropos or manner which is involved when a thing is said to have been done in one way when it might have been done in another under this category come cases of such as that of the adulterer who is scourged with thongs or starved to death opportunity for action the meaning of which is too obvious to need explanation or illustration the greeks however call it ergon aformae these authorities like aristotle hold that no question can arise which does not come under one of these heads Some subtract two of them, namely number and opportunity, and substitute for what I have called action, things, or, in Greek, pragmata. I have thought it sufficient to notice these doctrines, for fear someone might complain of their omission. Still, I do not consider that bases are sufficiently determined by these categories, nor that the latter cover every possible kind of topic as will be clear to any that read carefully what I have to say on both points. For there will be found to be many topics that are not covered by these categories. I find it stated in many authors that some rhetoricians only recognize one kind of basis, the conjectural, but they have not mentioned who these rhetoricians are, nor have I been able to discover. They are, however, stated to have taken this view on the ground that all our knowledge is a matter of inference from indications. On this line of reasoning, they might regard all basis as qualitative, because we inquire into the nature of the subject in every case. But the adoption of either view leads to inextricable confusion nor does it matter whether one recognizes only one kind of basis or none at all, if all causes are of the same nature. Coniectura is derived from conicere, to throw together, because it implies the concentration of the reason on the truth. For this reason, interpreters of dreams and all other phenomena are called conjectures conjecturers, but the conjectural basis has received more names than one, as will appear in the sequel. Some have recognized only two bases. Archidemus, for instance, admits only the conjectural and definitive, and refuses to admit the qualitative, since he held that questions of quality take the form of what is unfair, what is unjust, what is disobedience, which he terms questions about identity and difference. A different view was held by those who likewise only admitted two bases, but made them the negative and juridical. The negative basis is identical with that which we call the conjectural, to which some give the name of negative absolutely, others only in part, these latter holding that conjecture is employed by the accuser, denial only by the accused. The juridical is that known in Greek as dikaiologikos, but just as Archidemus would not recognize the qualitative basis, so these reject the definitive which they include in the juridical, holding that in these questions we have to inquire whether it is just that the act with which the accused is charged should be called sacrilege or theft or madness. Pamphilus held this opinion but subdivided quality into several different species. The majority of later writers have classified bases as follows, involving however no more than a change of names, those dealing with ascertained facts and those dealing with matters where there is doubt. For a thing must either be certain or uncertain, if it is uncertain, the basis will be conjectural. If certain, it will be some one of the other bases. Epilodorus says the same thing when he states that a question must either lie in things external, which give play to conjecture, or in our own opinions. The former he calls pragmaticos, the latter enoias. The same is said by those who employ the terms aproleptos and prolepticos, that is to say, doubtful and presumptive, by this latter term meaning those facts which are beyond a doubt. Theodorus agrees with them, for he holds that the question is either as to whether such and such a thing is really so, or is concerned with the accidents of something, which is an admitted fact, that is to say, it is either periusias, or coton, for in all these cases the first basis is conjectural, while the second belongs to one of the other classes. As for these other classes of basis, Apollodorus holds that there are two, one concerned with quality and the other with the names of things, that is to say, a definitive basis. Theodorus makes them four, concerned with existence, quality, quantity, and relation. There are some, too, who make questions of identity and difference come under the head of quality, others who place it under the head of definition. Posidonius divides them into two classes, those concerned with words and those concerned with things. In the first case, he thinks that the question is whether a word has any meaning if so what is its meaning how many meanings has it and how does it come to mean what it means in the latter case we employ a conjecture which he calls kataistēsin or inference from perception quality definition which he calls katenoyan, or rational inference and relation hence also comes the division into things written and unwritten even cornelius celsus stated that there were two general bases one concerned with the question whether a thing is the other with the question of what it is he included definition under the first of these because enquiry may equally be made as to whether sacrilege has been committed when a man denies that he has stolen anything from a temple and when he admits that he has stolen private money from a temple. He divides quality into fact and the letter of the law. Under the head of the letter of the law, he places four classes, excluding questions of competence. Quantity and intention, he places under the head of conjecture. There is also another method of dividing basis into two classes. According to this, Disputes are either about substance or quality, while quality is treated either in its most general sense or in its special senses. Substance is dealt with by conjecture, for, in inquiring into anything, we ask whether it has been done, is being done, or is likely to be done, and sometimes also consider its intention this method is preferable to that adopted by those who style the conjectural basis a basis of fact as though we only inquired into the past and what has actually been done the consideration of quality under its most general aspect rarely comes up in the courts i refer to questions such as whether that is honourable which is generally praised with regard to the special aspects of quality Questions sometimes occur about some common term, such as whether sacrilege has been committed when a man has stolen private money from a temple, or about some act with a definite name, when there is no doubt either as to the commission or the nature of the act. Under this heading come all questions about what is honorable, just, or expedient. These bases are said to contain others as well, because quantity is sometimes concerned with conjectural bases, as in the question whether the sun is bigger than the earth, and sometimes with qualitative bases, as in the question what reward or punishment it would be just to assign to some particular person. While questions of competence undoubtedly are concerned with quality and definition with questions of competence. Further contradictory laws in the ratiocinative basis or syllogism in the majority of questions dealing with the latter of the law and intention are based on equity, with the exception that this last question sometimes admits of conjecture as, for instance, concerning the intentions of the legislator. Ambiguity, however, must always be explained by conjecture, because as it is clear that the words admit of two interpretations, the only question is as to the intention. A large number of writers recognize general basis. Cicero adopts them in his orator, and holds that everything that can form the subject of dispute or discussion is covered by the three questions, whether it is, what it is, and of what kind it is. The names of these three bases are too obvious for mention. The same view is asserted by Patrocles. Marcus Antonius stated that there were three bases in the following words. The things which form the ground of every speech are few and are as follows. Was a thing done or not done? Was it just or unjust? Was it good or bad? But since when we are said to have been justified in doing anything this does not merely mean that our action was legal but further implies that it was just those who follow antonius attempt to differentiate these bases with greater exactness they therefore call them conjectural legal and juridical a division which meets with the approval of virginius as well these they then subdivided into species placing definition under the head of the legal basis, together with all others which are concerned with the letter of the law, such as that of contradictory laws, or antinomia, that which rests on the letter of the law, and on meaning or intention, which the Greeks call kai kaidianoian, and metalepsis, to which letter we give various names, styling it the translative, transumptive, or transpositive basis, the syllogism, which we call the ratiocinative or deductive basis, and those which turn on ambiguity or amphibolia. I mention these because they are called bases by most writers, though some prefer to call them legal questions. Athenaeus laid down that there were four bases the protreptike stasis or paroremetike that is, the hortative, which is peculiar to deliberative themes, the syntelike, which is shown to be the conjectural, not so much from the name itself, but from what follows, the hypalactike, or definitive, for it consists in a change of terms, and the juridical, to which he gives the name employed by other Greek writers. For, as I have said, there is a great variety in the names employed, there are some who, arguing from its meaning of change, hold that hippalacticae is the translative basis, which is concerned with competence. Others, Sicilius and Theon, for instance, hold that there are the same number of bases but make them of a different kind, namely, those covered by the questions whether a thing is, what it is, of what kind it is, and how great it is. Aristotle, in his rhetoric, states that all inquiry turns on the questions whether a thing is, of what kind it is, how great it is, and of how many parts it consists. In one place, however, he recognizes the force of definition as well, saying that certain points are defended on the following lines. I took it, but did not steal it. I struck him, but did not commit an assault. Cicero again in his Rhetorica makes the number of bases to be four, namely those concerned with facts, names, kinds, and legal action. That is to say, conjecture is concerned with fact, definition with names, quality with kinds, and law with action. Under this latter head of law he includes questions of competence. But in another passage, He treats legal questions as a species of action. End of Book 3, Chapter 6, Part 1